friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Trey. Trey. What? 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 Bring us in. Bring us into what? Bring us into the show. Oh, oh, right. The, the show. Um, sorry. Um, so, hello, everyone. My name is Trey Lawson, and this is, um, uh... Horatio uh, Upperdink III. It, what, what's the name of the show again? Oh, Tomb of Ideas. Right, yes, that's the thing. Tomb of Ideas. We are, we are still doing this thing, yes. Yep. We've been away for a little while due to technology issues, but I think we are back on track. Well, we are if you're hearing this. If you're not, we're right. not, and you'll never know. <laughs> but for now, uh, we think that uh, we still have a podcast. Fingers crossed. Right, and hoping that Gravely does not resume the beatings. I kind of kind of like the beatings, actually. Oh, I, I mean, to each their own. I can, I can, can I have yours if you don't want them? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so, uh, this is our uh, 48th episode of Tomb of Ideas. Right, and on this episode we're talking about a Mighty Marvel Mag, Dracula Lives number 6, and Frankenstein number 10. So we've got a magazine and a comic for you this time around. Right, but first, we should probably take a little bit of a detour into the hottest segment in comics podcasting, because it's been a while and a lot of news has happened. You know it, you love it. We're talking about Hellstrom Watch. Still remember how to do that. <laughs> so, uh, we've got uh, a fair amount of news today. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to sort of go over the highlights because there's been a lot of sort of little stuff that's trickled out here and there. What with the the online version of Comic Con and, and sort of announcements that's, that usually come out over the summer, but uh, the first big thing I believe is that Captain Marvel two has a director. Yep. And her name and her name is Nia DaCosta, best known recently for directing the sequel to Candyman that is still supposed to come out sometime soon. Is there a release date for that Candyman? See, Candyman remake. It was. It was supposed to have come out already, I think, but they've pushed it back. Okay. Uh, let's see. Candyman. Now you gotta say it, it two more been, times. It's been delayed to Halloween season, October 16th. That's almost a better fit for it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I mean, I there's an argument to be made for a movie like this maybe working as a, a, a summer movie. Because mm-hmm. it was supposed to have been in June. But but I, I, I am more excited about seeing a movie like that in October. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's assuming that it's safe to go into the theaters by October. It won't be. Right, right. I, I, let, let's be hopeful, shall we? Yes. Let's uh, but uh, I think Nia DaCosta getting the, the job for Captain Marvel 2 is awesome because, uh, for one thing, it's nice to see more women and people of color directing Marvel movies, but also because, by all accounts, she is just fantastic at her job. Yeah, yeah. What else has she directed, honestly? 
because uh, uh, she got uh, a lot of attention for uh, an indie film called Little Woods. Okay. Uh, that was that was sort of her big break that got Jordan Peele's attention and other producers' attention, and was basically what got her the the Candyman gig. Okay, because I saw her being interviewed. She was interviewed for um, Horror Noir, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, because I think she was already starting to work on Candyman when Horror Noir was in production. Okay, that makes sense. And so, so at the very least, she already had connections to Peele. Gotcha. Uh, so that's the first thing, is uh, Naya Costa directing Captain Marvel 2. Good news. Yeah. Um, also, three Marvel Studios projects are rumored to begin production soon, or resume production, I guess we should say. Okay. And those are Shang-Chi, who, uh, which that project had uh, gotten delayed because they were in Australia, and Australia completely shut down, and... Both the post-production work on One Division and production on Winter Sol- Falcon Winter Soldier are expected to resume. Okay, because I think we, we so, talked about last time. I think One Division is actually completed, well, except they, for they the finished shooting. Yeah, so so what whatever delays they have are post-related. Okay, but Falcon and Winter Soldier was like in the middle of filming in Prague when they shut down, uh, and I don't think they're expecting to go back to Prague but they are going to be filming in uh, Atlanta, which is where Marvel often goes for domestic filming. Yeah, it's just... I hope everybody's being safe. I'm sure there are safety protocols in place. I mean, I am very excited about Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I don't need someone to die for my entertainment. Mm-hmm. I, I am not... This is not the Roman Colosseum. Right. And there's also uh, some chatter that sometime soon... Thor Love and Thunder might also go into production in Australia mm-hmm. and Spider-Man 3 is not in is not filming yet but it's actually expected to film mostly in the US and Europe hmm interesting and of course there's a so, rumored title for Spider-Man 3 right yes there is uh, Spider-Man Homesick is the last uh, one that I saw huh. continuing the home theme of the trilogy right. Or right. series, which could make sense if if the fallout of the end of the second movie is Peter Parker has to go on the run, mm-hmm. then he can't go home. Like he's he's homesick. No, no. Oh God, what are you doing to our boy Peter? Ah. Well, I have a feeling. <laughs> well, I'll get to this. Uh, so, since we're talking about Spider Man, okay, God, okay, let's talk about this. Uh, Sony is, has hired. J.C. Chandor to direct the solo Craven the Hunter movie. No. No. <laughs> no. There is no goddamn reason for a solo Craven the Hunter movie. There hasn't uh, even been which, a solo Craven the Hunter comic book. Which will will go right alongside the S.J. Clarkson directed Madam Web film. Nope. And the Mark Guggenheim written Jackpot movie. Uh, nope. Nope. No, no, don't want it. Nope. Nope, um, don't want said, it. That said, as much as I have no interest in a Craven the Hunter solo film, I am totally here for uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, hiring Craven the Hunter to stalk Peter Parker across the country. Oh, that's fine. That's, like, if they want to make Craven the Hunter the main villain of the next Spider-Man movie, that's great. That's fine. Like, I, I want, like... 
I want a cross-country chase movie with Craven the Hunter as, like, inspired by, like, Dog the Bounty Hunter or something. Wait, have we just figured out the plot to Spider-Man Homesick? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it. I mean, that makes sense. And that would kind of explain why they're spinning off Craven into his own movie. Right. But... But why Craven getting his own movie? Like... Yeah. I'm just like... It's just... Uh, like, stop giving villains movies! Stop it! Yeah. Just, I don't... I don't want a Joker movie, although they felt the need to make it anyway. I don't want a Venom movie, although they felt the need to make it anyway. I don't want a Black Adam but, movie, although apparently they feel the need to make that fucking too. But 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 Venom did so well, it's getting a sequel. I will end this podcast right here and fucking now, Lawson. And 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 in that sequel. No 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 no! God damn it! I will get in this podcast. There's gonna be carnage. <laughs> You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Lovers. You motherfucker. Uh, But no, I would would rather watch a Far From Home spinoff where the MCU version of Ned Leeds becomes the Hobgoblin than a Craven the Hunter movie. So there, uh, Sony has also hired Olivia Wilde to also direct a Marvel or a Marvel-related movie. Yep. Um, that's expected to be Spider-Woman. Okay, here's the dealio. I love yeah. Olivia Wilde. She's she's awesome. She's amazing. I would love to see her direct a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I just don't want it to be a Sony Marvel movie. Because <laughs> I am, as I am well documented on this freaking show, I I I. I I do not stand the Sony Marvel movies unless they have Tom Holland in them and unless they link back to the MCU. You, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like... I, I honestly can't say, because I still have not seen Venom. I, I, as much as I joke about the, the Venom sequel, uh, I, I've still not seen the first Venom movie. No, and apparently we're going to do a reaction video on that. Yeah, we should. We really should. should. Uh, but, but I just... I don't know. I, I do kind of appreciate that Sony is carving out this this niche for themselves, as like they're the ones that are still making like late '90s style superhero movies. <laughs> Two thousand what? Well, because like like what is Venom but like a rehash of like the '90s version of Spawn? That that seems that seems legit. So and, and those movies they're not great by today's standards, but. There's a certain kitsch quality to them that that I think gives them some appeal, even if it's not the appeal that the studio intended. Yeah, I, I guess it's just look. Just... With, with with a Spider Woman movie, the the my main question is which Spider Woman? I feel... because that will that will be a big factor in gauging my interest. I feel like it's going to be the clone. Mm. The from Ultimate Spider Man. The Ultimate. Yeah. 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 The Peter Parker female clone. Because mm. somebody will think that's a good idea. Yeah, or they'll somehow try to merge that with, say, a Jessica Drew or something. Yep. Actually, I think the clone called herself Jessica Drew for a while. And then she called herself Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. I think. But but yeah, so in, in Sony's <clears throat> universe of Marvel characters, we now have directors for both a Kraven the Hunter movie and a unspecified female character movie. Mm. 
Okay. One, one thing that's the, one thing that's cool about the the Olivia, Olivia Wilde news, even though we don't know what the character is or anything else yet, and we have our doubts about Sony, the production team appears to be all women, which is cool. So, directed by Olivia Wilde, written by Katie Silverman, produced by Amy Pascal, executive produced by Rachel O'Connor. So that much is cool. God damn it, Sony! Stop doing really cool shit I can't get excited about! (laughs) And finally, in Hellstrom Watch, this is just out yesterday, film publications are refusing to review New Mutants. Because... Disney. Because it's not safe to. Yeah, they, they, won't, they won't send them screeners. They're insisting they do it in person. Right, well, and Tenet also did it in person. Because, again, Christopher Nolan's whole... We've, we've gone on rants about this. Christopher Nolan's whole deal is his movies should be seen on the big screen. But, for Tenet, Warner Brothers actually scheduled press screenings that were socially distanced. Okay. And so, and so they were able... Like, critics were able to go and be... You know, there, it was small enough numbers that they could feel safe. And then most of the publications ran a disclaimer on their reviews saying, by the way, we saw this under optimal socially distanced conditions. We don't recommend you go to the theater unless it is safe to do so. Which it isn't. Right, right. But but Disney, apparently, despite all of their noise about expecting this movie to be good, um, they are not bothering to have actual press screenings at all for the film and are telling critics that if they want to review it they should go to public screenings so wait it's not just that they are refusing to send up press screeners they're not, they're not having press screenings at all any press screenings at all okay yeah yeah that's the thing they were like critics were told if you intend to review this movie you need to buy a ticket could it possibly be they're just being super um cautious about covid i don't think so well because if they were being super cautious about COVID, this movie would have been on Disney Plus three months ago. This is true. Uh, which, uh, what's the schedule right now for it being on Disney Plus? September something? Uh, something like that. Uh, it's it's opening in theaters, what, this weekend? This weekend, Friday. Yeah, yeah. Um, which just seems bizarre, but... It does. But yeah, so... and And most of these publications have said that they will reevaluate their decision not to review if and when the film becomes available video on demand. Yep. Which, I mean, so they're releasing Mulan on video on demand. Yes. In fact, is that yes. next month they're doing that? Yes. And there's rumblings that Disney will be releasing more big budget films on video on demand if Mulan is a success. And I, I think I see what's going on now that you put it that way. Okay. If Disney is rolling out this experiment in video on demand, their first title that they release that way needs to be a huge hit. Like, it, it needs to do at least Troll 2 numbers. And New Mutants was not going to do that. Oh, no. No, 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 no. So, so their options were either release New Mutants as scheduled at the end of August or push it back to after Mulan. <laughs> and it's... And it's already such a punchline for getting pushed back so much, they couldn't move it again. I mean, they could. (laughs) They could, but, like, they actually had a joke in their Comic-Con presentation about coming at the end of August, we hope. Like, fingers crossed. The trailer literally said, fingers crossed. Oh. (laughs) Like, at that point, you gotta put something out. Yeah. 
But of course, the scuttlebutt, and yes, I just used the word scuttlebutt, um, is that if Milan is a success, we're getting Black Widow in November. Yeah, I, I think I had read something about that too, and I wouldn't be mad about it. Because there are a lot of people online who are mad about it. Yeah, well, it it would suck because it's the first solo Marvel movie with a female hero. No, it isn't. Is it not? Captain Marvel was. Oh, Captain Marvel, you're right, you're right, Captain Marvel. It, it, it's more, I guess, that people have been, like, people have been saying, why hasn't Black Widow gotten a movie for so long? Like, she's the Avenger that's not Hawkeye that hasn't gotten a movie. Yes, that's it exactly. They're like, Natasha deserves a movie, which right. she does. But uh, but also, we deserve to not get coronavirus watching it. Right. I, And honestly, I think on-demand is legitimate form of release. It is. It is. And again, there are some movies that I would prefer to see on a big screen. Pref- preference, you know? yes. Preference, yes. But the world we live in right now does not allow for it. Right. Absolutely. And I'm, again, I am all about the theatrical experience, the communal experience of going to the theater. I mean, you, you've seen the Joe Bob segments where he rants about this kind of stuff. Yes. Like, like the, the shared collective experience of watching a movie together in a dark room. I live for that. That is, that is like church for me or something. But like, not right now. You could not pay me to go to a movie right now. Oh, no. No. Not, just, no. And it hurts me to say that, you know? Because that really is... Like, that, that sort of shared experience is, is a big part of the enjoyment for me. Right. And there's only so long you can keep pushing things back. Right. There's only so long you can go with industry box office numbers being at zero or close to zero. Yes. And so I recognize this is bad for theaters. Yeah. But I, I've read that some, some of the video-on-demand releases have been making deals with the major theater chains to do some sort of profit-sharing thing. Well, that's good. And, and some of it, like, like AMC has gotten into Video On Demand themselves. Like, I'm pretty sure you can buy Video On Demand stuff through the AMC app. Okay. So they're, like, they're trying to supplement things that way. Now, how much of that filters down to the individual theaters, I don't know, but... Yeah. Hmm. And, of course, there's always drive-ins. Indeed, there are. So, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dracula Lives number five. Six. Number six. Dracula Lives number six. Flawless. This year, in 2020, we will see DC Comics celebrating the 80th anniversary of Robin, and so will Terrence, Ryan, and myself here on the podcast. Every other episode this year, well, <laughs> as long as Rob can keep everything straight, will have us following Tim Drake in the 1990s-2000s DC timeline. The following episode, we will be joined by a selection of special guests throughout 2020. The guests will be selecting their favorite Robin in a story that connects them to the character. It could be a comic, movie, animation... Hey, wait. So, like, uh, we, could we be reading Red Hood and the Outlaws on this show? Or Nightwing? Yeah, that's the idea. Whoa, 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 Wait, so you're opening the door to not just Tim Drake, but any Robin? Yeah. So does that mean Rick Grayson? Yeah, like the new 52 Helena Wayne, Robin of Earth 2? Heck, even the pre-crisis Robin of Earth 2? Or, dare I even say, Damien? 
Batman Forever? 1950s detective in Batman stories? Batman 66 episode? Batgirl Stephanie Brown? Teen Titans Robin with Wolfman and Perez? Jeff Johns and... Oh no. No. Scott Lobdell? No! Okay, uh, while I give my co-hosts a minute or so to digest all of this information, you can find our show, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast, through the BatmanUniverse.net podcasting network. Also, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you traditionally listen to your podcasts from. Now, if you'll excuse me, I think Terrence might need a bottle of water. Or maybe a paper bag. No! New 52! It's gonna be okay, Terrence. It's gonna be okay! Change of Tim Drake's origin. Don't worry, Terrence. Crazy Red Robin costume. It's gonna be okay. Uh, Maybe it won't happen. Here is a very special announcement concerning the film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. For the first time ever on American radio, a personal message from the Queen of England. Well, hello, sailors. You know, ruling can be great fun, but just sometimes you want to slip out of your crown, take your ermine truss off and have a good giggly poos. And there's nothing better for tickling my fancy than getting an eyeful of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, it's bigger than me in England. Thank you, Your Majesty. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first book for today is the magazine Dracula Lives number six. Cover date is May 1974. Editor is Roy Thomas. Our first story is Death in the Chapel, written by Steve Gerber, pencils by Gene Colan, and inks by Ernie Chua. Late at night in the city of Rome, an American tourist is attacked by a vampire, only to be saved by a monk named Montesi, who incinerates the creature by brandishing his cross and reciting a spell from the Darkhold. Meanwhile, Dracula watches from above and muses that this monk who can kill vampires with a single spell is now the most dangerous man on earth. Dracula tries to stalk Montesi, but the holy man takes refuge in the Vatican, forcing Dracula to turn away. Desperate to destroy Montesi's copy of the Darkhold, Dracula attacks two priests and steals their robes and vestments. Now disguised, he sneaks into Vatican City. Despite being surrounded by crosses and other holy symbols, Dracula makes his way into the Great Halls and eventually finds Montesi in the archives, still researching the origins of the Darkhold incantation. The Lord of Vampires bursts in and immediately lights the Darkhold aflame, causing Montesi to flee. Dracula realizes that the monk may have committed the incantation to memory and resolves to destroy him before he can share his knowledge with others. Dracula chases Montesi into the Sistine Chapel. The vampire prevents the monk from reciting his deadly spell but with his dying breath, Montesi reveals that he already mailed a copy of the Darkhold to Quincy Harker days ago. Just then, more priests arrive to investigate the disturbance, causing Dracula to flee into the night. So this is a really good story. This is also a really important story. Yeah, I wasn't expecting something like this in Dracula Lives. Yeah, but it's Gerber. True. And, and that's... Gerber has been good for expanding the shared monster verse within the Marvel universe. True. He has. Like, I, I guess I was not expecting in Dracula Lives to effectively get a sequel to the Werewolf by Night crossover. That yeah, this this is the most direct sequel we've seen to that Werewolf by Night crossover, actually. Right. 
Because both of both of those books just moved on. Yeah, because we have the werewolf going to France, and I guess this is our most direct sequel to the to the werewolf crossover. Yeah, well, and, and Dracula spends his next issue trapped in the snow with uh, Van Helsing. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's like it's been a while or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, here and, and trust me, Montesi is a name that's gonna keep coming up. So. I find it interesting, uh, Montesi in the first page looks a lot like the actor who played Floyd the Barber. Yes, he does. But in later pages, he's a bit stouter, so I wouldn't yes. cast that actor for him. And unfortunately, it looks right. like that actor, um, Howard McNear, actually died in 1969, so he would not have been available for this anyway. Huh. Also, I was unaware that Floyd the Barber died in 1969. Yeah. Yeah, he was ill during his last appearances. Okay. Uh, so it, in like the third season, the actor had a stroke. Oh dear. And and continued appearing in the show, but if you notice, like from that point on, when he would appear, uh, they would keep him stationary. Like they would find reasons for him to be sitting and not having to do much with his hands. Ah, oh, okay. I actually avoid later seasons of the Andy Griffith Show. Understandable. Well, not so much the Andy Griffith Show. But once it becomes Mayberry RFD, um, I don't watch oh, yeah. it. Well, th- this is much earlier than that. Like this was the, the stroke was like during the third season. Okay. Like from like season three on to season seven, he is basically he doesn't move around a whole lot. Okay. Mm. I-, I was unaware of that. This shows you how unobservant I was as a child. Because <laughs> like the, but, the Andy Griffith show was a big thing in my youth. Oh yeah, yeah. My my dad's a big fan. Yep. Every night at. Seven o'clock on WLTX, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, we've got we've got Montesi and his incantation, which, like I said, uh, spoilers, but but that's not the last we've heard of the name Montesi. It's kind of a big deal—a a phrase yeah, you could say well, to eliminate vampires. Yeah, and 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 we've we now have explicitly the connection between the Darkhold and uh, vampirism. Yes. Which is also going to be a big deal going forward. Yep. And and it explains why Dracula wanted that book so badly. What like we now have the explanation for why the werewolf crossover even happened. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Like an explanation that the crossover itself could not bother to give us. Why would they do that? You know? <laughs> stun them with startling visuals and they won't ask questions like, Why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> But um, and, and and so not a whole lot happens in the story. No. But but in terms of world building, it's huge. Although watching Dracula bumble around the Vatican is somewhat amusing. Oh, I loved it. I lo- like with his with his hat pulled down and like trying not to make eye contact with anything. Yes. Although I have a question for you. Uh huh. Are the priests that he ambushes on page nine are they the ones from the Spanish Inquisition sketch? <laughs> they look kind of like them. Just a, just a bit. Just a wee bit. <laughs> I would not be surprised if, 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 if Gene Colan stuck that in there. Yeah, you used Monty Python as his models. Yeah. Because yeah, um, Monty Python was on PBS by this point, right? I would... I imagine so. Yeah. Um, it's... Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> I mean, you said it. Um, 
Apparently, it began broadcasting in certain parts of America in '74. Okay. But but the film, and now for something completely different, had already been released at that point, and and came out in the U.S. And were they doing the stage show by then? They had done their first tour in the U.S. Um, they also appeared on the Tonight Show, where they did thirty minutes of material in fifteen minutes, and nobody laughed. Okay. Like, apparently they were not terribly popular in the U.S. at first. So it's actually unlikely that they are based on the priests from the Spanish Inquisition sketch. Uh, probably not. But, but I mean, it's always possible. Like I say, that like, by 74, episodes were being aired in some areas. Yeah. Okay. And it was in 74 when people, like, it sort of started to become a cult thing. Hmm. It's possible. Although that that wouldn't really like they wouldn't really become a big deal in the states until Holy Grail came out the next year. Okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's like I say, not a whole lot happens because so there's not much story to talk about. But I enjoy the sort of Scooby Doo chase through the halls of the the Vatican. Oh yeah, yeah. It's Dracula had to know this is a bad idea. In fact, he said it earlier in the story. It's a bad idea for me to go into the Vatican. <laughs> And he does it anyway. Yes. Like, you'd think he would have, like, hypnotized someone to go in for it. Right? That seems like a reasonable, smart thing to do. But I guess... Like, that's a thing he has done elsewhere in his own, like, solo book, is, like, hypnotize people to do things for him. But I imagine he maybe thought this was too important a task. Right. This was something that he needed to take care of himself. Maybe. Uh, You know, if we're going to no-prize it. Right, right. It's just... This seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, whether inspired by Money Python or not, Colin's art here is really good. Oh yeah, Colin's art's good here. Like the 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 sort of splash page with Dracula becoming the bat in the top half of the page, and then uh, the Vatican beneath. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's evocative. It's you get a sense of the grandeur that's being illustrated here. Uh, Lots of good detail work in the backgrounds. Tons of detail work in the backgrounds. I can easily imagine this being done by another artist and been done nowhere near as well. Right. Or or inked by Coletta and having all the backgrounds just disappear. Oof. Oof. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Sorry, I've been I've been reading a lot of Jack Kirby stuff lately, and uh, yeah. You're gonna get some Coletta cousins coming to visit you and break some legs soon. <laughs> It's, it's a fun little story, and we're probably going to see major consequences of it in the future, so we should probably, like, you know, write it down somewhere. Right, yeah, this is, this is like, a key story in Marvel horror continuity. Like, the, the, the introduction of Montesi's incantation from the Darkhold. Like, put a pin in that because it's a big deal. Yep. And I, I honestly don't remember if it's, a, if it's that big a deal at this point in the 70s. But I know for a fact, by the 80s and 90s, it is a big deal. Thank you, Steve Gerber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think that's that's probably it for this one. Because like, like we said, as, as cool as the concepts are, it's really just an extended chase sequence. Yeah. And, and, oh, I, will, I will also say I, I appreciate that, that Montesi, with his dying breath, pulls an Osmandius. Like, you're too late. I already did the thing before you even got here. <laughs> yeah. 
Osmandius Osmandius before Osmandius. Yep. So should we talk about the somewhat less consequential story that follows this one? Uh, we can't. First, I'll just very briefly mention, I, I skimmed the letters page, Dracula Reads, um, which mostly not all that interesting, no, no real interesting letters of note. Uh, the editorial does mention that the reason there were no letters at all in previous issues related to Dracula Lives number three is that they, they lost all of the letters about Dracula three, Dracula Lives number three, and they lost all of their typesetting for those letters. How do you lose something like that? Don't know, but that's apparently what happened. Uh, and then also, it is briefly mentioned because of a letter from Brent Seward uh, that Blade might be making an appearance in Vampire Tales sometime soon. Let's hope so, because he is... That, that book needs something. Yeah, yeah, because the Morbius stories are not cutting it. Right, right. So that's something to maybe look forward to, unless this is like uh, like the Manwolf thing, and it turns out that that story ends up getting repurposed into a different book altogether. I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, we've also got a short-ish uh, article, nonfiction article, by Doug Monk called Yes, Virginia, There is a Real Dracula, Undead and Well in Wallachia. <laughs> and... I'm not going to go into detail on it because all that I really need to say is that they are getting a lot of mileage out of telling and retelling the story of Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, yeah. Like, it seems like every every issue now has at least one, like, nonfiction piece that just sort of retells the story of Vlad the Impaler. At least every other issue. Right, right. And it's worth noting because it's Doug Monk at a point where this is basically all he's doing for the company. But uh, but it's not a very interesting article. I'll take your word for it. I did not read it. Yeah. Um, then we've got a reprint, The Mark of the Vampire, which I did not read because we don't do reprints. And then we have a prose fiction story written Ooh. by Thompson O'Rourke with art again by Ernie Chua. And this one's called Blood Moon. Okay. And so this one seems like it goes on forever, but really not that much happens. So I'll try and and reduce this down a little bit. We've got a mysterious man in black arriving in a small New Mexico town called Brass Monkey. Uh, He goes to the local hospital, he meets a young nurse named Marie, and introduces himself as Dr. Vlad and asks to be taken to the vault where blood is stored, the blood bank. While that's happening, a 70-year-old priest named Virgilius Flotsky is also driving to Brass Monkey because he received a letter from Marie, his former student, which he thinks is proof that he has picked up the trail of an ancient evil that he spent his life hunting. The man calling himself Dr. Vlad, having used hypnosis to draw the room number for the the blood bank from Marie's mind, makes his way to the fourth floor, uh, only to find that the blood bank is held behind a dual combination lock. So he goes in search of a thief who can pick the lock for him, but he's also so hungry now that he needs to feed before he can do that. Um, around the time that Dracula leaves, Father Flotsky arrives and checks on Marie. Um, he sees the name Dr. Vlad, and because he's not an idiot, realizes that there's a vampire. Um, meanwhile, a woman named Jennifer Hobart encounters our vampire on the street. Uh, to defend herself, she threatens that her boy, her, her boyfriend is a criminal, and uh, Dracula immediately bites her and makes her take him to her boyfriend. Back at the hospital, The priest and the nurse tell the doctor, Dr. James uh, Barrett, that his hospital has a vampire problem. Meanwhile, back on the fourth floor, 
Jennifer's criminal boyfriend, Lou, uh, has agreed to break into the blood bank for the vampire. But the vampire realizes that the blood is useless to him because it's been frozen and it's separated into its component parts. Uh, the priest and the doctor confront the vampire. Father Flotsky uh, gives the doctor a crucifix for protection. They give chase. But before they can catch the monster, they hear a scream and discover that Marie has disappeared to be continued. Okay, let's talk about this story. It's got some problems. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, I mean, in several ways, yes. The, the big one is that it is heavily implied, if not outright stated, that Jennifer Hobart is a prostitute. Yes, um, yes. Now, that's not a problem in itself. We don't shame sex workers here. No, no. But there's a scene where she's confronted by Dracula, and she thinks he's about to kill her. Right. And he goes... That's when the boyfriend comes up. Yep, yep. The man put his hand over her mouth and leaned down to kiss her neck. Jennifer relaxed with a sigh. He was only going to rape her. Uh, yeah, that's that's not great. No, he's he's only, only going to rape you? Oh my god. A man wrote this. Well, obviously. Yeah, obviously a man wrote this. Oh my god. So, let's talk about the man who wrote this. Because, um, I don't know about you, Trey, but uh, the name of um, Thompson O'Rourke is not one with a long history in my memory. Okay. Um, in fact, I can only find one other published work seemingly written by the same author. Uh-huh. And that is a novelization of the Roger Corman film Dino Croc. Mm. From 2004. Oh, the, the classic. From two th- yeah, from th- the classic from 2004. Um, I, I, now, I'm not as well-versed in um, Roger Corman's uh, catalog as you, you are. Uh, but I do see that it does have one sequel... And that is Dino Croc versus Super Gator. Yes, yes. Now, it's actually got two sequels, because technically Super Gator is a sequel. And then you've got Dino Croc versus Super Gator, which brings the two together. Uh, and then there is also the spinoff film, Dino Shark. All part of the Roger Corman cinematic universe. Right, well, yeah, of course. Which actually just predates the Marvel cinematic universe, so... <laughs> uh, and it is a movie that stars nobody no 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 actually probably the biggest name that i recognize in it is uh charles napier who was in actually some very good movies that were directed by jonathan demi uh philadelphia married to the mob uh he was in the remake of manchurian candidate he was in silence of the lambs uh he played uh he was the voice of agent zed in the animated men in black series Really? Yeah, Charles Napier. So he, he's like the one name from the original Dino Croc that I recognize. I'm very pro- sorry to hear about his tax problems, which is the only well, reason I can was, imagine him being... This would have been like the end of his career because uh, Dino Croc was, what, 2004? Yeah. And Charles Charles Napier, unfortunately, passed away in 2011. Well, now I feel bad for the tax joke. Thanks, Trey. But, uh, the, yeah, no, the, uh, this, this writer who apparently wrote the novelization for, for uh, Dino Croc. Uh, Thompson O'Rourke, in the Marvel wiki, has no other writing credits nope. related to Marvel. Again, I'm not even sure this is the same Thomas O'Rourke. Right, right, right. But part of me is just 
astonished that Dino Croc got a novelization. <laughs> it's just... Um, yeah. Yeah. But it does appear to be the same one. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. I might have found some more credits. Okay. So, there was apparently... Uh, I'm wondering if this is like a pen name or something. That would make sense. Because the only other Thompson O'Rourke credit I'm finding is for a... Uh, it's not Marvel. It's a, a comic by Darkline Comics, which I'm not familiar with, uh, from the late 80s, uh, featuring a version of the Golden Age character Black Terror. Ooh, I like Black Terror. But in, but in that one, Thompson O'Rourke gets the art credit. So it's a fake name. This this has to this is an Alan Smithy situation, I think. Yeah, this is somebody's fake name, like I don't know Jerry Conway or somebody. <laughs> so, if you know anything about Thompson O'Rourke or the multiple Thompsons O'Rourkes, whatever they may be, uh, please let us know because I am I am genuinely curious now about who this person might actually be. Yes, and not just because they wrote this horrendous story. Right, because it's really not a good story. No, not a um, good story at all. <laughs> and so it, it's to be continued, which I guess means we're getting more of this. Maybe. Yeah. Although, although maybe not by Thompson O'Rourke, because again, like only issue number six gets listed on the Marvel Wiki for him. And you know what I'm actually curious about? Yeah. This feels like I mean the way the story looks, the way the images look, it feels like this started as a comic story, but they couldn't get it completed in time, so they made it a text piece instead. Hmm. I can see that. Like, I can see that. Because because why else would you have Ernie Chua do even as much illustrations as he did? Right. I feel like there was an outline, there was some art that was completed for it, but they couldn't get it completed in time, so they just threw it in as a text piece and used the art pieces of art they already had. Uh, for the record, um, it looks like Blood Moon does continue in the next issue. Written by who, though? That's a good question. Um... Marvel Wiki doesn't list credits for it. Oh. Um, Dang it, hold on. So, which may be why he's not listed. Uh, Let me go pull the issue. I'm, I'm actually scrolling through right now with the, the digital copy. Uh, Blood Moon... Thompson O'Rourke. So he has two credits. So Marvel. he at least finishes out this story, assuming that's the end of the story. I hope that's the end of the story. It does not deserve more than two parts. No. It's Dracula Robs a Blood Bank. Which, right. let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, Vampire Robs a Blood Bank, played out idea, not worth mentioning. But why is the priest there? So he says that he received a letter from Marie about her engagement and about her new job, and that his sixth sense gave him the idea that he had picked up the trail again of the ancient evil that he was hunting. What in her letter would make him think that Dracula is going to attack a blood bank. No idea. Like, as far no as I can idea. tell, this is a wedding announcement. Oh, by the way, I'm working at a blood bank now. A blood bank? Who could attack a blood bank but a vampire? Basically. Now, what made him think a vampire was going to be in the middle of Arizona? <laughs> New Mexico. Oh, sorry, New Mexico. Excuse me. Brass Monkey, New Mexico. Which, that's a terrible name for a town. Although... Could this be a sequel to the airplane story? Potentially. Potentially. Because we, we don't really get an explanation for why Dracula's wandering the desert. Since apparently he's also in Rome. Right, right. Just, ugh. Let's move on from this one, please. 
Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, the Chua art is fine, you know, like it's it's standard Marvel Dracula stuff. But the story itself no. goes from it, it it oscillates between boring and offensive. Yeah, and that that's a bad spectrum to be on. It really is. So, not looking forward to more of that one. Uh, next, we have another comic, Shadow Over Versailles, story by Tony Isabella, pencils by John Bashema, and inks by Pablo Marcos. And this is this is the sequel to the story from last issue where Dracula was insinuating himself into King Louis' court in 1789 in Paris. Right. So... Still operating out of Paris, as King Louis XVI's advisor, Dracula feeds on a man leaving a bar. Meanwhile, Dracula's rival, Cagliostro, meets with his associate, Montpellier, showing him how his wife must now feed on human blood because of Dracula. They decide to destroy Dracula to save their country. However, as Cagliostro leaves, Montpellier muses that the change is inevitable, that change, like governmental, national, political change, is inevitable given Louis' unpopularity and the potential for revolution coming out of the Americas. While Montpellier schemes for his own rise to power, Dracula seeks out yet another victim, only to realize too late that it was all a trap. Surrounded by a mob wielding crosses, the vampire is beaten and imprisoned with garlic around his neck. When he awakens, Montpellier is there to tell Dracula that his execution will be the impetus for a revolt against the king. However, before these plans can be set in motion, history intervenes. For the date is July 14, 1789, the very day that citizens of France would storm the Bastille. Breaking into the dungeon, they free Dracula, allowing him to escape before he can be identified as nobility. Ironically, it is then Montpellier who is sent to the guillotine. So, does this mean Dracula started the French Revolution? Kinda. Well, isn't that lovely? <laughs> Uh, but this story, it's interesting. I wasn't expecting them to continue the Cagliostro story. And they don't really. I wasn't, ex- just... I wasn't expecting them to try and continue it without Cagliostro. Yeah, Cagliostro um, kind of yeets out of town. Right. Like, I, I wanted, like, we've been saying all along, like, an epic centuries-long conflict between Dracula and Cagliostro is perfect fodder for this magazine. And I don't understand why they are resisting giving that to us. I don't know, man. But they, they don't want to do it, apparently. So, yeah, we don't get that. And... <sighs> so, this mob is surprisingly capable of capturing Dracula. Yes, and I think the implication is that they were prepared by Montpellier. But, like, this is the most effective attack on Dracula we've seen like, since that like, Blade story. Like, they had people stationed on rooftops specifically to catch him if he's a bat. Yep. They, they throw garlic around the bat's neck. Right? It's just really well done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sort of puts Quincy Harker to shame. Exactly. Where, like, get some Frenchies here. That'll solve this whole Dracula problem. And I do love the, like, the, the panel. This is the top of page 45 of the magazine. Dracula chained to a pair of crosses with garlic around his neck. Yes, it's a good visual. It's it's a really good visual. So, and and, and I, I didn't mention this in the summary, but Dracula ends up back at court with with Louis. Yeah, although he kind of says you're on your own as far as this revolution goes. Right. Because they offer to 
let him basically rule through them. Right, right. As long as he'll protect their wealth and status. And he's like, nah, I'm not about that. Yeah. Which... And apparently just leaves France to its revolution. Yes. Although, honestly, I feel like Dracula would be about that. Probably. But modern-day Dracula would be. Oh, yeah. But I feel like that's another story. Um, right, right. In fact, that basically is the plot of Anno Dracula, except replace France with England. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe Kim uh, Newman Af- read, read this at one point. <laughs> Seems like the sort of thing he'd get a kick out of. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the intersection between historical fact and horror fiction. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's fine. It's, the problem with this story is it makes me wish Steve Gerber was writing every story. I could see that. Because I could see Gerber having more fun with the Cagliostro stuff. Yes, I could. I, I'm kind of disappointed because it appears that Montpelier is not a real person. Right, right. It's a place name. Yeah. So I feel like there is opportunity there to put actual historical figures in and have a little more fun with it. Mm-hmm. But they decided not to do that. Um, the other thing that uh, is is weird about the story is... Cagliostro is still keeping his vampiric wife around, which she was turned in the last story. Yep. Um, but, like, I guess just takes her with him when he leaves? Yeah. He's gonna try so to find a cure. there's just a random... Like, he's just, like, Cagliostro and a vampire on the road, I guess? I don't know. Again, like, there are other stories happening in the background of this story that seem way more interesting. Yes. They do. But, it... it... The, the art's good. The art is very good. Also... Does it seem like Dracula has been everywhere in the world? Yes. Which is kind of funny when you think about it, because as we'll see in the Bram Stoker story on our next story in this issue, he's all like, I know nothing about the outside world. Tell me all about it. Yes, he is very concerned with being able to appear cultured. Yes. And and cultured in a very specific Western context. Yes. Which apparently he should be already, because he's the most well-traveled being ever. Right. Well, and and I, I think I think we have to take the Roy Thomas adaptation as out of Marvel continuity. Oh, certainly, certainly. Because it just doesn't line up. No, not at all. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and we should probably get to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, before that, I'm not going to summarize it, but there's another prose piece. Uh, Tony Isabella writes a review of Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which is one of the Hammer Dracula movies. Uh, it's fine. Um, he, Isabella likes it, and it, it's a fun movie. It's not my favorite Hammer Dracula movie, but the article has lots of good pictures from the movie. Yep. And it looks like this is becoming a regular thing, where they're going to talk about the Hammer horror movies. Well, they draw a lot of inspiration from the Hammer horror films, so why not talk about them in the magazine? Oh, for sure. But this is something that in the letters page comes up, though, that uh, one of the, the letter writers compliments them, saying... I'm so happy that you finally started talking about the Hammer movies because for a while, all that ever came up was Bela Lugosi. Who's still undead. Yes. Uh, But anyway, moving on, we have one last Dracula story, and that is the adaptation of the Bram Stoker novel written by Roy Thomas, pencils and inks by Dick Giordano, letters by Joe Rosen. This is Chapter 2, Into the Spider's Web. Jonathan Harker having arrived in Transylvania, continues his journey by coach through the Borgo Pass. Arriving at his host's castle, he meets Count Dracula, who welcomes him inside. 
the Count carries Harker's bags and takes him on a winding journey to his guest chamber high in the castle. Dracula then offers Harker supper, but excuses himself for having already died. The Count asks Harker to tell him of London and of Carfax, the estate he has purchased. The Count also spies a locket containing a portrait of Mina Murray, Harker. Mina Murray, Harker's fiancée. Harker then asks about the mysterious blue flame and the ritual the coachman performed, which he saw while traversing Borgo Pass. Dracula reveals that it is St. George's Eve, and that the blue flame reveals a treasure buried for safekeeping from foreign invaders. Dracula then reflects on his own ancestry ruling over the land, but quickly departs as morning approaches. The next morning, Harker finds himself entirely alone in the castle. He attempts to explore, but repeatedly finds himself running into dead ends and locked doors, revealing himself to be something of a prisoner. Later in the evening, Dracula appears suddenly while Harker is shaving, and Harker is terrified to realize that the Count casts no reflection in the shaving mirror. In his shock, he cuts himself with the razor, and at the sight of blood, Dracula lashes out, only to be repelled by the cross around Harker's neck. Dracula regains composure, but throws the mirror out the window before leaving again. Later, he demands that Harker write to his employer and his loved ones that he will stay with Dracula for at least a month. Before leaving again, Dracula advises that Harker not go to sleep anywhere besides his assigned guest room. Shaken, Harker climbs a tower to get some air and appreciate the view, but is shocked to see Dracula crawling down the side of the castle wall like an animal. Harker is horrified at the creature he now sees Dracula to be, and fears that there may be no escape for him. This is so good. It's really, really good. It's really um, good. <laughs> first off, the art is gorgeous. It, it's, it's not the Marvel Dracula, you know? Like, it's not exactly the same Dracula that we've, we've been seeing elsewhere. No. But it's so fit. It so fits this story, though. Like, it, it matches the description of the character from the novel. Right. It's got a bit of Christopher Lee in it. Yep, yep. There's definitely some Lee influence there. Uh, which, I think last time we said there's some Frank Langella influence in what we're seeing. Yeah. But I, but I think with Lee, especially the eyes. Right. I feel like the older version is Lee, and the younger version is Frank Langella. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, specifically, there's a non-Hammer Dracula movie that Lee did, where he actually got to play the character with a mustache. Ah. And it looks a lot like that. Okay, that makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the art is, again, just gorgeous. The, the angles, the designs of the castle... The facial expressions, all so good. Like, the panel where Dracula's crawling up the wall is just perfect. Yes. Reminds me a lot of the scene from the Gary Oldman movie, in fact. Yes, yes. Which is one of the few to actually depict that sequence. Um, also, we can't gloss over Roy Thomas's writing. I mean, almost all of it is adapted directly from the source material. But Thomas is so very good at picking out exactly what details to spotlight. Because that's sort of the challenge of this, of turning a gigantic novel into a comic, is you don't get to keep all the words. No, and it, I think people underrate how hard it is to properly adapt something. Where, you know, what do you use? What do you make visual? What do you adapt the text from? And Roy Thomas is just doing a beautiful job here. Yeah, and and it, it sort of suits Thomas's style in that, as if you listen to the Make Ours Marvel podcast, they've talked about this 
with varying degrees of positivity, but Roy Thomas, especially early on, his style was very wordy. Like he, he tended to use lots of captions and lots of dialogue in his writing, but that totally suits this story. Yes. Because there is so much narrative information to convey. Agreed. It's just, it's a super atmospheric story. You know, we thought that the adaptation of Frankenstein in the Frankenstein comic was good. This is better. This, yes. It just is. Absolutely. And, and partly because we're not constantly diverting away from it for something set in another time. Right. It's because it is outside the, the continuity of the Marvel Universe. You know, it's outside the continuity they set for Dracula in right. the Marvel comics. It does have a which, lot... Which doesn't make... Which... That continuity doesn't make a lick of sense anyway. No. But it is it is in this story's favor that it, it doesn't have to be beholden to any of that. It can right. just exist on its own. Exactly. Although, the Giordano one uh, depiction of the young Dracula there does kind of look like um, the version we saw in those earlier Dracula live stories. It does. Yes. The, the warlord Dracula. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's very similar. Indeed. Um, And that, I think, does it for Dracula Lives. Uh, Did you have a favorite story in this one? Oh, it's definitely the um, the the Roy Thomas adaptation. It's just yeah, I I I think so too. Just in terms of enjoyment on its own, a close second place would be the Steve Gerber story. Yes, because it is so important to what we're going to be talking about. It's important and it's a lot of fun. But it's ultimately less substantial on its own. Right. If you if you actually take a look, take time to examine it, you realize it is just a massive Scooby Doo chase scene. But it's a fun Scooby Doo chase scene. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it, it's. But we actually completely agree on on the best there. Uh, and I guess worst probably going to be that that prose story. Horrendous. Yeah. Just, not good. Just cringeworthy. Yeah. And, and I think. That wraps it up for this issue of Dracula Lives, but we've got one more comic, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with The Frankenstein Monster number 10. The Devil was once the most beautiful and favored of all the heavenly host, but once infected with the sin of pride, he was cast out of the Lord's sight into the farthest depths of hell. In his humiliation, The devil raged, "'Tis better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. My offspring, the October Pod, will one day conquer mankind and all the Lord's works. And so, reborn once each month at 1.38 a.m. by man's reckoning of time, the October Pod rises from its slumber, seeking what bold individualists it may devour." Edward October presents October Pod, a terrifying spook show. Available now on YouTube, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and at OctoberPodVHS.com. October Pod, retro horror for bold individualists. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! The Chippewa Valley Theater Guild proudly presents 
Young Frankenstein, the wickedly funny musical based on Mel Brooks' comedy movie masterpiece, together with his faithful helper Igor, it's pronounced Igor. and his curvaceous lab assistant Inga, Dr. Frankenstein succeeds in creating a monster, but not without hilarious complications. Don't miss this monstrously good show, running October 2nd through the 5th. For tickets, call 832-7529 or order online at cvtg.org. Welcome back, Doom Believers. We're finishing up the episode this week with a look at the Frankenstein Monster number 10. This one is from May 1974, just like the last issue. The title on this issue is The Last Frankenstein. Writer is Gary Friedrich. Artist is John Basima. Inker is Frank Giacoya and Mike Epizzito. Letterer is John Costanza. Colors is Petra Goldberg. And the editor is Roy Thomas. As the monster mourns the death of the woman Carmen, he is confronted by his long-sought prey, Vincent Frankenstein, who claims to be the last of the Frankensteins. Although, I have a Silver Surfer comic that says otherwise. Consumed by his hatred for the family of his creator, the monster attacks the man, but is halted in this murderous deed by the enormous Russian henchman, the hunchback Ivan, who works for Vincent. After a struggle that includes the monster playing possum at one point, the monster finds himself dangling from the cliff at the mercy of Ivan and his master. Vincent Frankenstein commands Ivan to rescue the monster, and after calming the monster down, the two aid the creation of Victor Frankenstein in burying and mourning the corpse of Carmen. Upon taking the monster back with them to London in his lab, Frankenstein seems to turn on the monster, injecting him injecting him with a sedative so that he may be experimented on. The dosage is too small for the monster's massive frame, however, and the monster lashes out. The doctor is once again protected by Ivan, who beats the monster into submission, which, combined with the sedative, finally manages to force the monster into unconsciousness, as Vincent, Frankenstein, and Ivan prepare for surgery. So... So, Vincent Frankenstein. Yep. I'm a little disappointed. I still have hope. I have hope, but I, I wish that... I, I was hoping that the last Frankenstein would be a more complex character, and he still has potential to be. But in this issue, he is not a particularly complex character. Well, he seems to have sympathy for the monster. Right. But at the same to time, he sees the monster as a way to advance his career. Right, right. Which... <sighs> has always been the follies of the Frankensteins. Right. Also, he looks like what would happen if Vincent Price was played by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> his his face changes a lot de- depending on how evil he's being at that moment. Right, right. But at, at, at his, like, most excited, he looks like Vincent Price as played by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I, I can see that. I mean, I like that he and Ivan help the monster mourn yes that's actually a nice moment yes very nice moment and it gives you hope although it's also not clear it's also not clear if that's genuine or if vincent frankenstein just has enough self-awareness to realize that keeping the monster calm is a good thing Mm -hmm. because even with his interact even with frankenstein's interactions with ivan you can tell that his modus operandi is manipulation yes like yes i know you're his friend and it's because you're his friend that you need to fight him yeah you definitely feel bad for ivan yeah although and not just 
and not just because he looks like Calabac from the New Gods. <laughs> this is true. You know, I'm wondering why he needs to keep the Frankenstein monster in a box on the ship when he just has Ivan walking around, when Ivan is so right. much more unbelievable and rather scarier looking than the Frankenstein monster. Right. I guess just because the Frankenstein monster has a few more stitches. Right. Ivan, I think, is... I think we're meant to take Ivan to be a human, just just a, an oversized hunchback. Yes. Which, you know, maybe his mother was a giant. Hmm. Um, and he does have a little bit of a Hagrid thing going. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... Wow. Can you imagine, like, a 1970s Marvel Classics Illustrated version of Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, you're saying that, but now I'm picturing Calabac of the New Gods played by Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> I would take any of these, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Honestly, I think this is getting the book back on the right track. Because for a while, it did feel like, with, with its Dracula crossover, the book was kind of treading water a little bit. But now we're back on furthering the monster's relationship to the Frankenstein family and his quest to to resolve that. Yeah, which it'll be interesting to see how they do it because, for one thing, like I said in a summary, we know this is not the last Frankenstein. Right, right, right. Because we saw the last Frankenstein in that Silver Surfer issue. Right. Also, whatever they're going to do with this, they've got eight issues. Yep. Also, wasn't that Silver Surfer issue drawn by John Buscema? I believe so. So, you know, he knows about that other Frankenstein. He probably forgot. He, he does draw a lot of comics. Um, yes, it, w- it was actually uh, uh, John Buscema who did both the story and the cover. So, I feel like, I feel like we're going to get a reveal that he's not the last Frankenstein, honestly. Probably. Probably. But he's using this to man- manipulate the monster, which again, leads to the conclusion that he is not a nice man. Right, right. I, I think that's probably where we're headed, but it, anything could happen. You know, the way this story ends is enough of a cliffhanger that it's not... I don't really know what's coming next. I feel like if Frankenstein, Vincent Frankenstein, would just explain his plan to the monster, he might get more cooperation. Maybe, assuming his plan is, like, legit. And not just, like, ex- and not just because do exposition monster- as he falls into unconsciousness. Like, the monster keeps hearing bits and pieces that, out of context, don't sound good. No, they do not sound good. So, yeah, no, you're, you're right. That, that, that probably just sitting down and treating the monster as a human being and having a conversation with him would go a long way. But then again, we see many times where communication would solve an issue and people just refuse to communicate, so... Right, I mean, and that's sort of an ongoing theme in this book, because at the beginning, the problem is that the monster still can't talk because of injuries he received in the previous issue. Yes, that's true. And that is not resolved here. He is still without speech. Right, right. So it seems like Vincent's just ready to treat him like, well, a simple-minded creature like Ivan. Right, right. And not the, like, well-read, intelligent being that we know the monster to be. Yeah. So... So... Yeah, I want more of this. I, I th- yeah, this this is this is again a return to form for this book. This is this is mostly good stuff. Now, I won't say that the Dracula crossover was bad. No, it, but it, it 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 derailed, and it wasn't even the Dracula story. Issues before the Dracula story 
the the book had gotten derailed off of Frankenstein's main quest. Yes, where uh, he had gotten bogged. If you'll forgive the video gaming parlance, he had gotten bogged down in the subquests. Yeah, <laughs> he 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 lost the main plot. Right, right. And, and Dracula was just sort of the biggest example of that. Yes, I would agree. And it that. wasn't that it was a bad story, but it it did not further his quest to find the last Frankenstein. Not at all. So, Until the last panel. Exactly. And really, it's the last so, Frankenstein finding him. Right, right. Which is even weirder, really. Yes, but, I mean, he probably heard about this creature looking for him, and he's like, I have an opportunity to make money, if not scientific history. Right. So, we'll see. Yeah. Also interesting that this this Dr. Frankenstein is operating out of what appears to be, like, a townhouse. Instead of a castle, you mean? Instead of a castle or, you know, uh, any of the other sort of gothic tropes that, that you normally see in Frankenstein stories. Yes, that is interesting. Uh, so, which makes me think, where does the castle... Well, no, wait. The castle we saw was the Frankenstein castle. I guess it gets rebuilt sometime between now and Silver Surfer in the 1960s? I, I guess... That would make sense, I uh, suppose. Because what we have here, the the Vincent's laboratory is underneath the townhouse. Like, he goes through a secret doorway and down a flight of stairs. Yes. But you're right. The, the Ludwig Frankenstein from the Silver Surfer issue very much had a castle. Yes. And I believe they do refer to, to that as Castle Frankenstein. So I'm going to assume it's the one from earlier issues because we do get right appearance earlier issues however however we also have a frankenstein castle in the werewolf by night crossover we do we do in a completely different location yep marvel geography hurts sometimes <laughs> let's just put it in latveria there you go fair enough fair enough uh but yeah it's, it's good it's um like I said, the best I can say is it's a return to form for the book. It's it's on the right track again. It's not my favorite issue of Frankenstein that we've had. No. But it's definitely... I definitely enjoyed reading this more than some of the previous recent issues. I'm intrigued and not bored, which is what I was when yes. I, Frankenstein was fighting cavemen. I get to the to-be-continued and legitimately want to know what comes next. Exactly. And that's really what you... That's the best you can hope for in a serialized story. Yes. So, yeah, good stuff. But anyway, I think that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. It does. Uh, and if you want to do your homework in advance, we've got uh, two books for next episode. It's going to be episode 49. And we've got another magazine, Tales of the Zombie, number five. And we've also got another single issue of Man-Thing, number five. Yep. And as always, uh, we between this episode and the next... We love to hear from our listeners, so please do uh, write to us, message us, uh, let us hear from you on social media. James, how can they get in touch with us? Well, they can email us. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. They can reach us on Facebook, facebook.com slash tombofideas. And, of course, we are reachable by our Twitter, twitter.com slash tombofideas. Sorry, no, at tombofideas. At Twitter, yes. On Twitter, rather on Twitter. Um, yes. And of course, we are proud members of the Cinepunks podcast group, 
where we are right alongside other great podcasts like the flagship Cinepunks show, uh, Horror Business, Fat Girl Hacks, Evil Eye, uh, Wine and Cheese, uh, all great shows that are worth checking out. Um, so make sure you go to cinepunks.com. Uh, check out our show and the others. Our whole back catalog is there. There's also lots of great articles and, and merch you can pick up. So be sure to, to check out cinepunks.com. But you can also find our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably there. And when you subscribe, make sure you also rate and review us because those reviews, one, they make us feel good. But two, they also push us up in the algorithm and make it more likely that other people will find our show, and that really helps. So please, let us hear from you. It helps the show out a lot. Makes me all warm and tingly. Like when I get those meetings from Mr. Gravely. (laughs) And on that note, uh, until next time... Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a marvel horror podcast until next time tumblers excelsior <laughs>